This is the Roaring Elven podcast for the 12th of February 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John. Here's my Can I Waterboard Him co host, Dave. Waterboard him? Well, that got dark quickly. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, I was trying to find a thing with sparkling water and I couldn't get any further than doing something awful to you. I'm not sure what that means, but... <laughs> yeah, Freud. Freud, come on in. Wow. Okay. That's where we're going. Well, I mean, it's a good job that uh, Pavel and, and Kuba aren't with us because, uh, you know, with you, with your torture fetish on... Maybe it uh, helped not me, sure, you know? not, not sure they're ready for that, but uh, we got some great answers from from them anyway. Regardless of uh, a distinct lack of torture, I thought. Uh, yes, no persuasion of any particular sort was necessary. They were very helpful with providing us with all the answers to our questions. So, for anybody not uh, with us uh, yet, this uh, episode will kind of have the second part of the interview we had with uh, Kuba and Pavel from H2O.ai uh, about sparkling water, about how you can use the H2O uh, API on a Spark environment, and uh, well, much more than that as well. They've talked about everything and anything concerning H2O sparkling water, and even a little bit of driverless AI. So, getting uh, getting more technical in this episode, so going yeah. on to you know who uses it, how do you get it deployed, and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, also a little bit of configuration hits and tips and t- mm-hmm. hints and tips. Excuse me for that. So uh, should be some good stuff. If you were intrigued by the whole sparkling water following the previous episode, then uh, this episode should give you everything you need to be able to start and play with it right now. That's right. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, you, you sold me. You, I want to have sparkling water. I'm, I want to buy it. I want It's for free, so I definitely want to buy it. So what do I need to do? I'm a customer. I've got an infrastructure, I've got a advanced analytics environment. I've got uh, cloud. I've got on-premise. I've got everything and everything. What do I need to do to actually deploy H2O sparkling water on my environment? So supposing that you already have some Hadoop implement. I suppose you want to run on you can you want to run on Hadoop or Yarn because that's uh, what you do if you want to scale. You can of course run as a standalone application. Spark has also support for Spark standalone mm-hmm. mode of running, where you start your worker nodes and master node manually. Yeah. You can do that. Uh, I personally don't use this mode that much. I like Yarn because it. It takes care. It takes care about all the resource manipulation, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just easier to use on Yarn. Uh, you get uh, you get logs and everything. So I suppose that you have a Hadoop and Yarn available, and then uh, most of the most of the Hadoop implementation people use what I what I saw in customers. Customers don't use Vanilla Hadoop. They use some specific implementations of Hadoop by specific vendors mm-hmm. and these these providers already have some spark available bundled in mm-hmm. uh, and when you want to start using sparkling water you just download sparkling water from our page from our page for that specific spark version which is included in that specific provided uh, hadoop implementation and you just you just add it as an additional jar okay. to your starting command. So, for example, you do Spark shell. There is a command Spark shell dash dash jars. Mm-hmm. You can give it sparkling water jar. Also, if you want to automate it, you can add it to the jars directory yeah. uh, or some sp- to Spark defaults configuration. So your users users don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And basically, when you do that, 
very similar. You have to do very similar thing to Python if you want to enable it in Python, in PySpark, and in R as well. Uh, so that's that's what you need to do to make Spark and Water available. And then uh, you just need to read tiny tutorial how to start Spark and Water when you start Spark Shell. There is like it's like two pieces, two lines of code which you need to call in the basic setup, and it will give you working Spark and Water cluster. Uh, so those couple of commands is that uh, do I still use this, uh, the the standard Spark context or do I make a, an H2O context or a sparkling water context or do I add something to the existing sparkling uh, Spark context? How does that work? Uh huh. So basically, the workflow is that you let's suppose you have the environment with sparkling water set up. Uh-huh. Uh, you start your Spark shell or PySpark. You need to import. You need to do a few imports. Uh, actually, one in PySpark is just from PySpark we import everything, and then you need to start H2O context, which builds on top of existing Spark context. Okay. And, and this Spark con- this yeah. H2O context is used to start H2O nodes on all the Spark executors available out there in the cluster. Okay, that was a big sentence there. Um, so f- just about the uh, sparkling context. Um, mm-hmm. Once I've de- defined that one, do I then need to take care that I only reference that one, or can I reference the the raw Spark context in between if I just want to do some uh, data manipul- manipulations? How how mm-hmm. tightly coupled is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Well, H2O context is necessary if you need to convert the data from H2O land to Spark land and vice versa. Uh-huh. So we provide we provide utilities methods such as as Spark data frame or as H2O frame. For oh, that okay. you need to for need you need to be you need to have H2O context. Of course, you can lose the reference if you call H2O context get or create again. It will give you the same one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep we keep it in in we keep the reference internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to run some specific algorithm, you don't have to keep H2O context reference anymore. You don't actually call algorithms using H2O context because let's say you use H2O context to create H2O frame for Spark data frame, and then you can call H2O algorithm on that specific H2O frame. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there is also one one different style of using Spark and Water using Spark pipelines where we actually even hide H2O frames from you and we just expose Spark data frames. So people actually don't even have to think about the conversions. They load the data using Spark, they give it, they give Spark data frame to the pipeline and the pipeline internally takes care of necessary conversions. Yeah, so just detects whether, what kind of type it is and make sure that it gets converted, whatever it is. And yeah, you yeah. have uh, there's tools available for me as an end user to just decide when I want to convert from one to the other for whatever reason I need. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the usual use case is that you load the data using Spark because you just want to. Yeah. Uh, we also, side note, we also have a nice parser in H2O, so you might want to give it a try. But if you decide to use Spark, you can load the data using Spark, you do some data cleansing, and then you want to run your, you train your model. So at that stage, you convert the data. Mm-hmm. It's just more about the feel, what you want to do with your data. It's not about, right now I have to answer because I read it some, somewhere. It's just, I want to do modeling right now, so I will convert yeah. the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. basically a data frame, there's just abstraction layers of each other and the same kind of possibilities are available anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But if you don't need to do the H2O stuff, you can just keep it spark as long as, as far as you want to. 
up until the real data science thing where H2O becomes important and it has a benefit to have the H2O context then. Oh, the H2O. Yes, yes, that's the, that's the, yes, that's the usual, usual mm-hmm. use case. Okay. Now, you were talking just earlier there about having um, H2O or Sparkling uh, executors on the Spark executors or something like that. Now, you'd said, uh, if I want to get this running, I just install the jars. Uh, it can't be as simple as that, because you also talked earlier about having an H2O deployment in its own. And there was also a little discussion about uh, the, the the side effects of using H2O when you have to be aware of how you deploy it. So can you go a bit more in depth on that one? Uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to deployment, uh, I will first cover H2O deployment mm-hmm. when we run on Hadoop. H2O and Hadoop is deployed pretty easily. We provide on our page... Uh, H2 drivers for specific Hadoop implementations, such as for H2 driver, for Cloudera Hadoop, for Hortonworks Hadoop, uh, for different implementations of Hadoop. And what you just need to do to make it to start Hadoop H2 in this case is you run Hadoop jar, you give it a specific H2 jar and whatever number of nodes you want to use and what 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 amount of memory you want to give each each mapper and that's it. So actually in, in case of H2, it's one command to start H2. Assuming that you have a Hadoop cluster configured properly. Oh, hang on, uh, does that mean that uh-huh. uh, I will tell the Hadoop cluster to start a single process or that it should distribute a process across the whole cluster? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So this application, this driver application actually submits a submits MapReduce application to your Hadoop cluster where we run H2O inside of each mapper. So mm-hmm. let's say it's just dispatcher. It's not it's not one single single application. This this single piece of application is just dispatch, dispatches the nodes across your Hadoop cluster. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have like you have full distributed uh, H2O application. So usually from my experience when I talk to people this is easier to start with. When it comes to sparkling water, you need to configure Spark. Uh, and configuring Spark can be some, sometimes more complicated than people <laughs> expect. <laughs> nah, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so once you... Actually, the, this is the most difficulty. Once you configure Spark properly, uh, Starting Sparkling Worker on Hadoop is fairly simple, but you need to you need to be sure that you can run Spark on Hadoop. You can communicate to HDFS to S3. Uh, you know you need to be sure that this is configured properly. H2 does this for you. It tries to help you as much as it can, so it hides most of the configurations. You just need to configure the basic stuff. In Spark, if you want to use both Spark and H2 for communicating to S3, you need to spend some time on configuration. When it also comes to different deployment mode, we have two deployment modes in H2O, in Sparkling Water. Uh, just quick intro, one is called internal, the second one is called external. Mm-hmm. External is used in cases where, let's say, uh, we want to separate H2O cluster for, from Spark cluster, so we keep the two clusters separated, but we still communicate using the same API. Uh, that's good for use cases where we, for example, want to keep the H2 cluster in stable environment, but we want to still allow Spark cluster to use dynamic allocation, young resource preemption, and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if you have big data, you want your Spark application to scale up and down, but H2O is not designed to scale up and down. So we need to have stable environment for that. So that's why we did this second second backend. So why I, why I, why I started talking about this second backend solution is that when it comes to deployment and you decide to use this external backend solution, it becomes even more complicated. Mm-hmm. Not undoable, but when people do what they need to do, it's it's simple. But you need to take right artifacts, and you can you can imagine that usually when. When something is simple for somebody, I spend every day on that. When I say simple, it might be a bit more complicated for newcomers. <laughs> yeah, well, for newcomers, I mean, uh, it's easy to deploy something. It's uh, a yum install or copy your jar and it's done. It's the configuration that usually has a secret sauce that, that makes it work well or at all. Uh, for newbies, what are the things they should look at, definitely look at first or don't forget? Any hints or tips they can give people there? Mm-hmm. So when using Spartan Water, I would tell them start locally. Uh, it, there is this environment variable called master. I would set up it to local. Just download Spark from Spark uh, official download page. Uh, extract it somewhere. Download Sparkling Water from our page. Extract it somewhere. Do the and actually, what you just need to do, you need to export Spark Home uh, variable, which will point to the Spark Home location. And if you have our Sparkling Water distribution package, we have a helper helper scripts which are called like bin Sparkling shell, bin pi Sparkling shell, and they will actually take care of everything for for you. They will set up automatically the jars, the Hadoop, the Python dependencies. So that's the easiest step to start working for that for newcomers because you don't need to actually configure every, anything. It will just works. It will just work. If you want to go for Hadoop, then you probably need to have some experience with Hadoop mm-hmm. at the first at the first place. Uh, but it shouldn't be too compli- complicated anyway to start it. It will start be complicated once you decide to start using S3 from Spark. Yeah. Once you decide to communicate to different data stores, because it really takes lots of configuration. Yeah, 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 and for yeah. example, when it comes to S3, you need to you need to have right S3 libraries or li- right mm-hmm. Hadoop libraries. It's not that easy to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's more of the, the the Hadoop configuration itself. That's separate from Sparkling Water yeah, yeah. Or, or Spark, even yeah. let's say. Um, now, if I have a Hadoop cluster uh, and I'm, I know I'm going to use Spark and I know I'm going to use Sparkling Water with H2O, uh, should I take into account the fact that I'm going to use H2O Sparkling Water when I configure my Spark, or can I just configure my Spark the way I know Spark to work? Or are there any things you can uh, say? Oh, these things be careful, cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we we have a tuning guide in our documentation where we suggest people to change few configurations okay. to help H2O to behave a bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main ones are that in the internal backend, in the original original variant, we suggest people to turn off dynamic allocation because of the H2O limitation, because it's not able to join new H2O node, join new H2O node when we already log the H2O cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we suggest people to turn off Spark dynamic allocation. That's the that's the big one. Other ones are just like timeouts tuning to mm-hmm. give H2O or Spark a little bit more time or a little bit less time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, 
maybe one addition mm-hmm. because I mentioned few times that H2 doesn't support high availability uh, so I want to explain that a little bit this okay. is this was actually done for a reason it wasn't like ad hoc decision it's just too much work we won't do that but when it was written we 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 saw that Actually, these these models, these algorithms are actually not that long-running tasks. Uh, what people actually do, they just start H2O, trade themselves the model, and stop H2O. It's not designed to run forever. Yeah. Uh, and by implementing high availability, we would need to do some compromises, for example, on performance, maybe on accuracy, I'm not sure. Uh, so we rather decided to stay simple, but focus on performance and uh, accuracy in H2. Okay. okay. Thanks for the... Uh, actually, access. H2 yeah. is made to uh, run for a long time. There's no, no problem with that. But uh, as Kuba mentioned, the trade-off is mostly uh, power, speed versus the HA. Yeah, and also what I hear is that uh, when you're doing something with H2O and for some reason it goes away, it's not the end of the world. You just do it again. It's an acceleration step. It's not that you lost three months of uh, of your life at that point. Yeah, well, if you were not training for uh, several months, then of course you can. What you can do with H2O is uh, save the model, like an intermediate version of the model, and you can also do checkpointing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you have to, but you have to do that with yourself. It's not the machine that's gonna safeguard you from wrath of the gods or anything like that. You have yes, to. you have to. When it crashes, it crashes. Uh, it won't save the model in the state uh, it's currently in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to instruct H2O, please save this model to some persistent storage, and then you can go on from there, or maybe even give it to mm-hmm. someone else. But this is also this is also specific to configuration. Uh, okay. If you want to run just H2O, you can really configure it in a way that it will never die unless something something unnecessary happens. So if you, for example, turn off the arm preemption, that there is no job competition competition, and you have like stable H2O cluster, which nothing can kill. Mm-hmm. You know, so it also depends on configuration. Yep. Uh, but I uh, we already covered. Put. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So uh, we covered now how to deploy sparkling water on a Hadoop environment. Now, uh, another way I see Spark being used a lot is uh, just Spark in a Kubernetes cluster or any kind of Docker cluster for that matter. Um, mm-hmm. Any big differences how you would approach deploying sparkling water on that? It's very similar. Uh, yep. It's very similar because Spark handles all the deployment. Yep. But. What actually came to my mind, as you mentioned, Kubernetes, there is a big trend of going, I know it's a bit different, but uh, there's also trends going into cloud, like AWS, Azure. Uh-huh. So what we what we try to do in Spark and Motor and H2 to write uh, some sort of deployment templates. Uh, and what that means is that what we see that people spend a lot of time on configuring, for example, AWS, Amazon AWS instances to be able to run Spark and Motor. Or actually, maybe just even starting AWS instance with right security groups and things like that can be tedious for mm-hmm. some people. So we are preparing deployment templates which, which actually take care of this for you. You just, we are using tool called Terraform, which basically mm-hmm. you just yeah. give it your uh, Amazon 
cloud ID, your credentials, and it will start cloud. It will start EMR cluster for you on that virtual network you provided with all sparkling water dependencies. So you can just log in and start sparkling water on Yarn. So that's okay. Convenience, convenience, convenience thing for sparkling water users if they want to run on cloud and they don't want to spend time on configuring all the all the AWS stuff. Uh, now, one way that a lot of people are using Spark today is uh, Databricks. How is your Databricks integration? Uh, the short answer, the short answer is it works. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't try it now. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it really works. So we are integrated Databricks. You can log into Databricks, uh, and it's fairly simple. Uh, again, it, it abstracts you for, from the deployment of the Sparkling Water clusters, as in case of the AWS or Azure. What you need to do here, you just need to bring, make Databricks cluster aware of the dependency. Mm-hmm. And this can be done as simple as Databricks Cloud can fetch dependencies from PyPy in case of Python, yep. for example. So you just need to sp- write name of our PySparkling package, which is h2 underscore PySparkling underscore and the Spark version, the major one. Mm-hmm. And it will it will bring the dependency to the cluster. It will distribute it automatically. You don't need to worry about that. And when you start new cluster, it will automatically attach the library and you can already start working with Spark cluster, Sparkling Water cluster. So there's, again, no configuration required. Yeah, just make sure uh, you create you your h2o context stuff. so you can uh, actually start working with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because what we realized that we want to help people like configuration cluster of clusters can take time and whatever <laughs> means we can help it like such as Databricks Cloud, deployment templates, uh, Docker machines, we try to do that because it simplifies lives for, my, well, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, getting to the end here. Uh, okay, a question about productionizing, because one of the main uh, problems that a lot of people have in big, big data environments, advanced analytics environments, is they have their setup for the data scientists to build their models, train their models, iterate on it, and now they have something that works. And let's say we used H2O libraries, algorithms, and the REST API and everything. Now I have a let's call it preventive maintenance or fraud detection model that does what I wanted to do. I want to productionize this now. Typically in Spark environments, you used to use things like PMML, and more recently things like MLeap. I think Databricks is also standardizing MLeap now to kind of serialize your model towards a container environment. If I'm using H2O, does anything change? Does it happen the same way? Help. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, that's a good question. I will split it into again into sure. two phases, uh, H2O and Sparkling Water. Uh, I will talk about how we can do deployment in Sparkling Water, but I would let Pavel introduce our model artifact first, uh, which is called H2O Mojo. Explain a little bit, and then I can explain how we use that in Sparkling Water, how we can productionize this thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So first, we used to have some listeners might be familiar with Pojo, but that's really deprecated right now. The new version is, is Mojo. <laughs> And this is really compressed format of, of the resulting model you have. Uh, you mentioned some AML model that really works perfect for you. So you just click one button or call one, one function on H2O and it will save the model. And all you need to do is uh, one of our Java libraries you can download and then you can use it in your Java backend. That's it. Or integrate to it uh, in any other way you like. 
And then you just call predict, you load the mojo into it, and uh, this way you can integrate HTO models into your software, and you don't need the rest of HTO at all. Yeah, you don't need to have HTO cluster running actually in this case. Yes, yeah. of course, of course, it's it will just load the mojo. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so, very uh, lightweight. Yeah. It's few hundreds of kilobytes, nothing more. Yeah, so, and, uh, go ahead. So, yeah, sorry. So go, yeah, okay. So and as Pavel introduced the mojo, I wanted to add that in Spark and Motor we are. For example, one specific implementation of uh, how we can parallelize this specific mojo. So we can use Spark, uh, actually Spark pipelines, to parallelize H2 models with some specific Spark transformations. And again, if you are parallelizing this thing, you don't have H2 cluster running in this cluster. So you do few Spark transformations, then you then you do your predictions using H2 H2 mojo. Yeah, yeah. You can, of course, you mentioned the MLEP tool. You can, of course. Uh, you can export this Spark pipeline out of Spark out of Spark environment, uh, and you can deploy it on Amazon Lambda or mm -hmm. something like that. That's okay. also possible, and it depends it depends on your needs. Uh, what I think is that Spark is amazing uh, when it comes to simplicity uh, and high throughput processing of the data. But when you would need uh, the Spark Spark deployment of Mojo. But when it would come to almost real-time data processing, then maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, I think that Spark might introduce a bit more overhead because of its distributed manner. For example, if you need to compute one row, it needs to do some operations because it's natively distributed platform mm -hmm. and it might it might slow down the prediction time. So mm -hmm. then it makes sense to, for example, use the MLE tool, which will extract the pipeline from Spark and make it as an independent application which you can deploy to Lambda, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good stuff. Right, uh, so looking at the future, I mean, sparkling water, it's all done, finished, complete, feature complete, nothing going to change anymore, or do you have a roadmap and what's coming up in the future, in the near future? Cool, uh, so regarding sparkling water roadmap, H2O roadmap will follow, uh, we are spending time on the on the deployment templates right now. Uh, we want to make sure that people can use it easily. Uh, we are still exposing few algorithms in the Spark pipelines, APIs. We don't have, ex we, don't, we didn't expose everything. Uh, and the big, the big thing is that we want to make sure that we will run correctly on the new Spark. Mm -hmm. In the Spark version of 2.4, the barrier execution mode was ex was introduced. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what we actually discussed at the beginning. This is actually the way how we can make other machine learning tools uh, available in Spark clusters in an easy way. So we want to be able to use this barrier execution mode uh, in a proper way. Uh, right now, it's there are just basic implementation, but in Spark 3.0, they should extend the implementation. And when this is out, we should be able to like simulate high availability in sparkling water clusters of H2 because we can start H2 on demand, do our machine learning models, then turn the cluster down. If something happens, we can use Sparkway how to recompute things. So basically, that's the main goal of integration and uh, one of the big things on the roadmap. Properly integrate with Spark. We also need to work with Spark guys to make sure that we can do this properly. Uh, but again, Sparkling Water is a simple product. Uh, 
because it just integrates two things. Uh, mm-hmm. For machine from machine learning point of view, uh, the H2 roadmap is important as well. Yes, and Pavel can help us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, because sparkling water depends on H2O backend, then all the features we have are available with a little bit of a delay uh, in sparkling water as well. Uh, right now, we are trying to stabilize uh, isolation random forest algorithm that's uh, not marked as stable yet. It has been added uh, for a month, maybe a little bit more. Uh, there is always so much going on. It's not just new algos, it's a uh, new features as well or improving the algos. For example, we have uh, target encoding, we have uh, the ability to inspect and uh, the trees behind tree-based algorithms and uh, make decisions on that. Of course, bug fixes, there is so much, but these are isolation random forest. And uh, of course, new Hadoop, new Hadoop 3. Uh, we are now claiming support for it. <laughs> claiming support for it that sounds very Sorry. careful no 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 that's, that's not let's just cut this no it's it's not claiming it's just we just support it yeah we, we support really it. Re- recently it's two weeks yeah, well, it's uh, three. Though I haven't seen it in production anywhere really yet. Most most people are just looking at uh, migrating their stuff yet. So that's uh, well on time, I'd say. Now yeah, y- we have some some customers. Uh, who re- already requests H2O to support it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah sure. I mean, the people need to start uh, migrating, right? They need to start looking at uh, what changed. Now, you mentioned uh, b- having to um, uh, in- integrate changes from H2O, but that's also from H2O.ai, the same company. So you kind of know the guys. You can just walk over and tell them, oh, why do you do this? Try change it again. But the Spark changes, you don't have a lot less control over, of course, because that's a different uh, entity uh, completely. Have you had a lot of um, annoyances of, not annoyances because improvements always better, but does do changes in Spark really cause a lot of work for you? Or is it usually just, oh, new version comes out, let's do some regression testing, change two things and it's done. Mm-hmm. How, how much of a effort is it when a new version of Spark comes out for you? And for mm-hmm. me as a user of H2O, how much effort would it be for me to start using that new mm-hmm. version then? Mm-hmm. So... When you use Spark Motor and you upgrade your Spark version and you download new Spark version, you don't have to do things differently. It's actually the same. When it comes to, like, de- from developer point of view, in the major releases, there are breaking changes, which prevents us compiling the code. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need to make sure this is fixed. But this is something what we expect. This is something okay. I can't say it's it's breaking because... It's natural to iterate iterate the code and Spark is actually very nice in uh, deprecating things. They do it, they do it pretty, uh, pretty much in advance. So you know about that, you know, when the fix is going to be removed. So it's, it's fine. Sometimes I need to spend more time on it. It depends on release, but usually it's not more than one week of work. I don't. I don't hear any kind of irritation about those annoying Spark guys. It sounds like it's a, a well-oiled machine by now. Yeah, yeah. Like it's also with the the barrier execution mode. It it made us uh, happy because we can. <laughs> that's that's the kind of blocker which yeah, yeah. we were seeing in Spark. So right now we can easily plug in H two O. Mm-hmm. So that's 
Hopefully it will go in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm assuming you guys can also steer a little bit because Spark is also an open source uh, project. So you must be able to also influence a little bit on their end, right? Yeah. We know few people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my people talk to your people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it always depends if you talk to your friends, if it makes any difference. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all I had on my question list, I must say. Uh, Dave, you anything that I've missed? <laughs> Uh, I, nothing you've missed. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Actually, it's been quite enlightening. I I know that we we attended the uh, the, the conference back in October, but this is this has been able to sort of really get under the under the covers a little bit more. Uh, I'm really interested in um, sort of understanding uh, more about this as we go through. So, no, all great so far. Okay, uh, Paolo Kuba, anything you guys want to add from your end? Anything I should have asked and haven't asked? Uh, maybe uh, H2O has a great documentation. And uh, previously you asked about something that could help the users uh-huh. uh, get on track. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you go to h2o.ai then, and just click the documentation section, uh, then it's all there. Yep. Yeah, I can attest to that because when we did the conference, we used that. Where's the best place for people to go? Um, sort of community people that are just getting started. Is there a mm-hmm. is there a good you know, community place? Should people you know go to the Jiras? You know what's the what's the best place where um, mm-hmm. people hang out together and can uh, mm-hmm. can help each other? Yeah, that's a that's a perfect question to wrap it up. Uh, so there is several places where people can go. Uh, we have a there is a Stack Overflow where we where we we promote H2 and Spark and Motor people to send their technical questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they discover some bug in H2O, we suggest to file a Jira. Uh, yep. Just uh, when I want to stress, uh, Jira is for bug reports, not for regular technical questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But we have also other two, we have also community Slack. Uh, which okay. people can join. We are checking that. Uh, we are checking that. We have also Gitter uh, of H2O3 Spark and Water projects where we also answer questions. And there is also uh, H2O Stream, like Google Forum, which we are still supporting. You can still ask questions there, but we prefer if you use Stack Overflow. Okay, well, if you could send so, me some uh, URLs, I will be sure to include those in the, uh, in the blog post that goes with this uh, episode. Yeah, so yeah, perfect. It's lots of lots of lots of links. So, <laughs> yeah, please send. <laughs> we have dedicated people who actually watch over not just Stack Overflow but mainly Stack Overflow, so they make sure everything that's uh, important okay. uh, reaches us, and we can properly answer. Okay. All right. Anything else? Want to John talk about H two World, or should we introduce that? Uh, well, that was the next thing I was going to say. I've uh, so seen online that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, both Dave and I enjoyed the HO World Conference in London very much, and there's a new one coming up in San Francisco in February, the fourth and the fifth, I think. And yes. I even think that Kuba is going to be talking there because Lisa's picture was on the list. Yeah, it seems like I'll be talking. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Open Source and Scrum and Agile. <laughs> I'll be standing there, not talking. But. <laughs> well, but it should be it should be nice uh, community event. Lots of customers, lots mm-hmm. of use cases from H2O. So if you 
happen to be there in San Francisco, please let us know. It will be nice to meet you. Yeah, we'll put the link in the blog post, of course. And uh, is there any uh, topic or main theme for the uh, San Francisco H2O World? Uh, is something new going to be announced there? Any any hot of the press tips you can give us here? Uh, I don't think we can <laughs> tell you right now. Yeah. Ooh, I would, I would something. wait for the. <laughs> I would wait. I would wait for the event. <laughs> yeah. But, One uh, thing I can say that yeah. each H two world is uh, better than the previous one. So if London was great, uh, people say it was great. So was. this one will be even bigger, even better. So <laughs> make sure you will be there. Yeah. Well, it's the US, so it has to be bigger, right? But better. Well, we'll see. But apparently, something new will be announced. The people, the, the two person here, don't want to tell us what. But uh, everybody who's interested, please go to San Francisco in February. Right, that's it for us. Now, there's one little thing we always ask all our uh, all our guests on our episodes on our show, and that's uh, if uh, each of you could try to define Hadoop in one sentence or less. Do you want to start, or should I start? <laughs> yeah, I just spent five days debugging Hadoop, so I'm not sure I, I'm the one who wants to start. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we limited to one sentence or less. <laughs> yeah, uh, huge useful mess. <laughs> That's an original one, I like it. That's pretty accurate, actually. I like that one. <laughs> True. Yeah, I probably won't have anything original as that. It just distributed, distributed platform kind of Hard to start with, but once you get to it, it, it does what you want. I like that too, and it's totally yeah, true yeah. as well. <laughs> well, Pavel and Kubab, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. I know I learned a lot. I have totally abused this episode to ask all the questions I have personally had. So thank you very much for answering all of those. And uh, I'm sure we will meet again in future. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. It was really nice good. Really to good to chat to you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Goodbye. Bye. And that's the end of the second and final part, at least for now, of our session with uh, H2O and Sparkling Water with Pavel and Kuba. So they had a, a great uh, amount of information to get across to us. And I think uh, Jan did an excellent job steering them through the questions. So... All in all, I was thoroughly enlightened by the end of it. How about you? Yeah, I was very happy about this because, as you said before, one of the reasons we do this podcast is so we can learn. Yep. And uh, I've uh, shamelessly abused this uh, podcast episode to get all my own questions answered, to be honest. Hey, that's what it's all about. I like it when a plan comes together. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, anything else from you? Nope. Thanks to Kuban Pavel. Now let's uh, end this right now. Indeed. Thanks very much to the guys. And with that, that is about all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed this uh, bite-sized sip of big data this time. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye. See you then. <laughs>